Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? <laughs> Someone's had their coffee. All right. Hey, super stoked to be back. Um, gone last week. Had a great family vacation. Jose, who's there in the back, killed it. If you guys were here last week for the sermon. And then our recording didn't work, so we weren't able to listen to it. But I heard great things. We had a great connection group both nights. Phenomenal discussion. So, Jose, thank you for setting us up on a tee on that, having a great discussion. Yeah, I know. You're excited, too. I'm going charismatic today. All right. Um, so, yeah, so it's great to be back. We uh, What a fun week. Um, Young Life had their fundraiser, their golf tournament. Just so you guys know, if you give to – yeah, you can clap for that. That was weird. I know. That was uh, three people clapping. <laughs> we don't like teenagers here. No. Uh, Young Life works with teens. Um, it was a raise money for, uh, to go to camp. They have all kinds of great camps and options. And so if you know teenagers, uh, people that are disconnected from a church or Jesus, we try to help pay the way. They can't afford it. But even for Christians, it's a great, great time. So uh, they had their golf tournament. <sighs> Pat. Pat, raise your hand. Pat plays guitar here. Pat striped 170, was 170 yard, hole in one. Put it in the hole. (laughs) But this is how old we are. He hit it and all of a sudden, like he hit it and I was like, dude, such a good swing. But we couldn't see the ball go in the hole. It's too far away. So we're walking around the green. I'm like, it's here somewhere. And then Pat had the faith in himself where he looked in the hole. He's like, and he said, there's a ball in the hole. (laughs) And that's yours, man. So fun. So we we had a great time. So that was. That was really exciting. Well, hopefully, know in the next few weeks how much money they raise. Just so you guys know, when you get to the church, um, we use that money for various things. A lot of it is for outreach, uh, love, helping people, whether it's paying rent, food. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a guy that's uh, in prison that I've been meeting with for a few years. About every three months, we use money from our church to help pay for food so he can use it for ministry inside the prison. Uh, and then also, uh, we donate a thousand dollars to young life just to help with their thing. So it is really cool that, yeah, it's really cool that just the generosity and we get to be a part of that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and invite up Bethany now. Bethany leads worship here. A lot of you guys know her and she is, she's got some exciting, can we put a Ephraim? Can we put one mic on for her so they can hear her? Maybe we'll use this one right here. Check it, check it. Boom. All right. That's your mic. Um, so uh, Bethany's going to be uh, gone this summer. We're not going to be able to hear your voice all summer long. Uh, and uh, tell us what's going on as far as um, just what God kind of has in front of you. Well, yeah, so I'm going to be a summer intern at one of the Young Life camps this summer. Um, it's called Young Life Adventures, and it's in Santa Cruz, California. So um, if you're not familiar with Young Life, it's an outreach organization for um, high schoolers that um, basically just wants to go to where they are and let them be kids, but also talk about Jesus and just be in their life. And so, yeah, that's been a big part of my family, if you're familiar with it. Um, well, even your parents, they came to Christ through yeah, Young Life. Yeah, so yeah. when my parents were in high school, they Young Life, like there was a Young Life area at their school, yeah. and so they both grew up in really, like, not godly homes at all and so they've always then they met jesus through it so they've never they felt like what if young life never went to their school so they've never been able Mm -hmm. to stop so 
that's why our family is so involved. Um, and yeah, so I'm gonna be an intern and specifically I'm going to this camp because it's the place that I like 100% gave my life to Jesus in mm. my after my junior year of high school. And to keep it like short, but that year was like just a really, really tough year for me. And I was really like walking away from God I, after wanting to follow him. But at this camp, I like, it's the place that I really like, I wouldn't be who I am today mm. without going there. and. So yeah, their main mission statement is to help kids follow Jesus for life. And I'm a product of that. So mm. I've always wanted to go back. So yeah, that's why I'm going there. I, and that's June through August? Yeah, uh, May 28th through August 14th. So yeah. yeah. What's some of the top things you're going to be doing? I know there might be a lot of things, but do you, you kind of know what your priorities are going to be? Yeah. So um, the main focus of this camp is to like let kids just like, it's more like camping. It's not as much of a resort camp as a lot of Young Life camps are. Um, so this one has um, basically adventures every day. So every morning people go surfing and then some days we go kayaking or like hiking in rivers or mountain biking or um, lots of different things or skateboarding, like all this stuff. But um, I'm also actually going to be one of the main music interns for the camp, which is really cool. Yeah, awesome. um, yeah so that's... And I'll be like the music and food intern. So that's my main Music role. and food. They go together. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's perfect. Uh, so this does cost money. Yeah. And you're going to need to raise money uh, yeah. because you're a poor college student. <laughs> and so, um, but uh, tell us kind of financially what you're needing in order to be able to do this. Um, yeah. So there's about 10 of us interns and each of us have been asked to raise $3,000 each um, just to cover the cost of what it um, what it is for us to be there, like housing and food and um, just um, equipment and all that. So, yeah, I'm really asking if anyone would be willing to support me in this. I'm, um, I am going out of obedience. I feel like, and I feel like God is just like asking me to go there. It's not really convenient in my life right now, but I really just want to trust Him in going in this and. If anyone would be willing to support me in that, whether it even is just for praying through me for this summer, I would. No, 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 not just praying. That. No, no, we're not <laughs> like, going to do that, honestly, Christian. No, no. Uh, you guys can give money. I see yeah. Starbucks out here. You can throw <laughs> some cash down. Don't give me that. I'll pray for you. You can do that and give yeah. money. What's the dollar amount? Let's get down to business. How much have you raised any yet, or are you just right at the beginning? Um, I've raised about two hundred. So you need three thousand. Yes. Twenty-eight hundred dollars. So, I'm close. Access <laughs> Church. Yeah. Let's go. So the church, what we're going to do is we're going to match whatever you guys give. Now, if you guys just give abundantly and obediently, and we don't have to give any out, we won't. But if we get up to like $1,500, church will match the rest. Um, so we really want to support it. And I want to encourage you with this. This is not easy. I know you guys are like, oh, it must be nice to skateboard and hike, and you know. But she's doing this to reach kids. Um, there's an energy that goes out. There's other things she could be doing. Bethany's a high achiever and she's got schooling right when she gets back. So she's really trusting God because she can't do all the things she needs to get organized for school. That's a step of faith. And it's not off of what I feel like I want to do. You really said like, God's called me, even though probably my feelings are more like, I want to stay home and get ready for school and stuff like that. So um, I'd like to uh, pray for her and I'd like you to join me and I'd like you to give generously um, best way to give, should they talk to you or go, is there a website? Um, yeah, there is a website. Um, I could give it to you, but I could say it now if it's easy. 
Or I could just give it to Talk you. to her. Yeah. She'll give you the website. Yeah, and let's do that. if you have questions too, I would love to talk more if you want to. Awesome. So yeah. let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for Bethany. Um, she's a blessing to us. Many of us have been spiritually encouraged, filled because of her voice, practicing the guitar, and um, just the way she worships draws us in. And so we're thankful. And so God, I just pray out of that thankfulness that we would just really, finances would be zero way for her. She could just focus on uh, ministering to the kids, getting spiritually ready, getting in the word. And so I pray that we could support that way. And then we do want to be a praying church that though she's gone, she's not far away from our hearts and minds. And so Lord, that we'd be a church praying for her. I pray that you would use her to bring people who don't know you to you, Jesus, that she would literally be, be a part of a group of people that um, there's kids that are going into darkness and they go into light and their lives are changed forever like hers. And so prepare them spiritually, physically, emotionally, energy wise, God. And I just pray that you come back with some great stories. And so um, I just pray you and her will be really close to you. So we just lift her up to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Looking forward to hearing what God does. All right. Hey, um, before we get into groups, I uh, just want to remind you that Connection Groups, it's on our app. By the way, uh, the app does have the worship songs. If uh, you don't want to use the app, uh, we encourage you to. Everything's on. You can give through that. You can sermon notes. Take it. You don't have to use paper. But also, we have uh, worship lyrics uh, on paper up here, too. So if your app's, you're not connected or anything like that, just come see Andrew. And for the second set of worship, um, you can have those words. Just want to give you a heads up with that. Our Be Good Challenge, we're in a, a seven-week period where um, uh, off of Proverbs 3, where if it's in your power to do good, that we should do it. And so that if we have the energy, we have the power, we have the opportunity, God's going to give us do good things. And so we're in these little uh, weekly challenges. So here's your challenge this week. It's off of Matthew 6, 1 through 4, where he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Uh, basically, when, what he was saying there is uh, people shouldn't know uh, all the time what you're doing. It doesn't need to be posted like, I helped a homeless person today. Boom, right? Uh, that it doesn't mean if you do that, that it's bad. But what he's saying is anonymity can be good for our soul where we're purely doing it for Jesus and not for others being like, you're an awesome Christian. So your big good challenge this week is to basically is to love in a stealth-like manner. Don't tell anybody. Look to serve, look to love, look to encourage. It could be you're with your kids. It could be doing something, picking something up. It could be something like that. It could be um, just encouraging someone, but doing it anonymously. It could be financially. It could be whatever it is. But this week, try to love in a stealth-like manner, knowing that God is pleased, but try to do it literally in a way where no one else knows. And then we'll get together in a connection group, and we'll celebrate, and we'll tell each other so we can feel good about ourselves. All right? So that's what we're going to do. But anonymous throughout the week. That's your be good challenge. Absolutely. All right. Hey, uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, and if you want to turn to Daniel, either on uh, the app, on your phone, grab a Bible. Um, Daniel's in the Old Testament. And uh, so you can look that up. And then as I pray, if you need to move around, you can move while I pray. God, God, it's all right. He'll still hear the prayer, even if you're moving. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Um, man, it is always exciting to open up your word because your word is truth. Your word is freedom. Uh, your, your word is what uh, fills us up, God, and we need it. We get drained throughout the week. We get drained with our jobs. We get drained with relationships. We get drained with our families. <laughs> we get, even though we love them, we get drained with society. We get drained on our mission. We forget what we're all about. Um, and so God, I pray you remind us today that you are stronger than any person or entity in this world. 
that you are in control, that you care, that you have plans for us. And God, I pray that we would live with purpose. I pray we would live with passion. I pray pray we would live in your grace because we all mess up. Even if we look good today, combed our hair, brushed our teeth, we look like a good Christian. All of us fall short. And so we come to you uh, for grace and for love so that we can live out this life the best way. Praise your name, Jesus. Amen. So today we're in, a, I believe we're in a unique time um, in history as far as within our culture. Uh, this isn't unique to, to other Christians around the world. Um, most Christians just, you know, around the world, um, they're used to living in high conflict, war, and people not appreciating their faith. Uh, if you're a church in China, uh, you're not allowed to publicly worship. You got to go underground. And that church can still be destroyed. And so there's a worry because if someone gets out that you're a Christian, uh, they could destroy the church. But at the same time, you're still trying to reach Christians, which is interesting that that's the fast, the last 20 years, that's the fastest uh, growing area for new Christians is in China, right? And so we look at America that uh, today um, was really pro-Christian when it was started. And I'm using those words specifically because when people are like, this is a Christian nation built on Christian things, like, yeah. And then in other ways, we weren't very Christian. We, we got to hold both things. Um, as far as national success as a world leader, our nation's phenomenal. No doubt about it. You can't not deny that. Um, and I believe that the Judeo-Christian ethics led to things that we messed up that are getting fixed and have been fixed and moving in that direction. So it's a phenomenal country. No doubt about it. Definitely pro-Christian. If you're a Christian, um, it was actually expected and that you would go to church. Uh, especially if you grew up in the Midwest or the South, um, even if you didn't like God, you act like on Sunday, right? That's why we started this nation and things shut down. No one probably remembers that anymore. Things shut down. I actually barely remember that in the 70s. We're in certain towns in the San Joaquin Valley near Fresno. They would still shut down Sunday. You couldn't go shopping. You couldn't do certain things. So there's still little remnants of it. But that was, I know some of you are blown away. You're like, that's like, really? Yes. We weren't 24-7. We shut things down. Um, everybody went to church kind of a thing. And so that was a pro-Christian. And then I would say, and from my view, the 70s began to change things because there was really a, an outlook towards leadership in government and leadership in the church that people started calling it out in the 70s. And in the 70s, I mean, you th if you think today's times are chaotic with protests and riots and things like that, you need to watch YouTube on the 70s. It got crazy too. And that was really a, a change in our culture where we don't trust leaders. Um, there was some major scandals going on, right? And we moved to what I would call a post-Christian where it's, I don't mind Christians, but church isn't for me. And church attendance began to decline. Um, all of a sudden we can open up on Sunday because money's important and we don't want to miss out. And so capitalism, uh, which isn't Christianity, by the way, <laughs> right? It's a, it's an economic, it's a way of looking at how to function as a society and government. So capitalism is a phenomenal thing, but it's not Christianity. But so capitalism looked at money saying, we're missing out on a day a week and other things and we can keep running this, right? And so those things began to take over. And so post-Christianity, it's, I don't mind it and that's good for you, but I'm gonna start choosing other things and more and more people in our nation begin to do that. Well, we've shifted in the last probably, I would think 20 years where we're not even a post-Christian nation, we're an anti-Christian nation. It's shifted. Where all of a sudden it's like, not, no longer is it like, well, yeah, believe what you believe, no, what you believe is racist, bigoted, wrong, immoral. 
and any of us that have gone to universities, I remember, I mean, as a Christian, I was the lone one in my classes. And then if I had questioned anything, it was an emotional response that was vicious. And we're seeing that percolate throughout our society. We see that on the news and things like that. What's interesting, I was talking to our connection groups about this, is our nation is truly already set up through our laws that what we preach here, if I were to preach out, well, if I were to preach, I preach out of the Bible, but there's going to be things that can get me arrested. The only reason we're not doing that is because there's not a political climate for it. You couldn't get away with it. But those things are already starting to shift. Now, will it go all the way? I don't know. Now, I, I talk about that, and right now I can feel it's like, <gasps> right? I can feel our hearts and dark days are ahead. And oh, back in the day, I wish it was how it was 50 years ago. Stop. There's great hope in this. There's great hope in this. And here's the thing. This is actually the normal way of living for Christians throughout history. We're in a weird time when it was pro-Christian. That's very rare in human history. God expects us to live. In fact, he calls us, he says, as Christians, you should live out as exiles and foreigners. View yourself as a foreigner. View yourself as an exile. Don't get too comfortable here. And so we're going to be looking at Daniel. I want to look at someone today that, how did someone who was pulled away from his culture and his nation forced to live in an area and in a nation that believed everything completely antithetical to what he grew up with. And how did he respond? Because I think he's a great example to us. And how did God kind of guide him through this time? I think it's going to be really good for us today. So if you're in Daniel, we're going to be primarily in chapters 1, chapter 6, and chapter 10. We're going to kind of skip around. Uh, just so you know, Daniel is 12 chapters. I encourage you to read it this week. Uh, as I preach today, maybe you take some notes and then read through its 12 chapters. Just so you know, the first six chapters are historical. Chapter seven through 12 is prophetic. That gets freaky. It gets a little weird. Get your popcorn out. All right, it's like a movie. Uh, we're not gonna go into the prophetic today because I wanna really focus on the life of Daniel, right? But just so you know, the first six chapters are more kind of uh, uh, biographical. And so Daniel, during this time, uh, he came from wealth and nobility, and we see this in chapter one. I'm going to be saying things, kind of um, just summarizing it, and it says it in Daniel. Um, and so he lived, just so you know, that this book was written about 300 years after the peak of Israelite power and pride. Those were the kings. Remember King David, King Solomon? That was the peak of pride. And then uh, those kings ruined it. As God told them, if you want a king, that's fine. I'll give you a man as a king, but he's going to ruin it for you. And they did. And so then the nation of Israel began to break down. I don't know if you know this, but after those kings, it began to fracture. And so it split into really two um, groups in one nation. The northern was called Israel was 10 tribes, the bottom Judea, and that's two tribes. How much that had to break God's heart where he gathered these people out of slavery, bonded them together, wanted to be their God, and now they're bickering and fighting and all this, and now they're split as a nation. This is the period that Daniel grew up with. So a lot of turmoil, a lot of confusion, a lot of heartbreak. Why aren't we one nation? And so it was a very confusing time. And he grew up in a family that had some type of power we don't know, but grew up with wealth and nobility. Uh, for most of his life, actually, for uh, yeah, for almost all of his life, he lived in captivity and in a religiously combative environment, as we're going to read The reason that they're going through this period is 
um, and why he was taken captive is because God actually warned them that Israel and Judea, that if they didn't stop with their rebellion, that he was going to discipline them. And as much as the Old Testament, I don't know if you ever read the Old Testament, but it seemed harsh, right? It can seem like, was God angry for like a couple thousand years? Got some therapy and then Jesus comes and he's like super nice, right? He kind of worked out all his anger. It, you, it can feel that way. But let me ask you something, parents, maybe, I don't know, teachers. If you ask a simple request one time, that's fair, right? Two times, three times, pick up your freaking plate 10 times. I see all the moms are crying. They're weeping right now, right? They're like, he feels my pain, right? And I'm not talking about the kids. I'm talking about with the husbands too, right? Pick up the plate and the undies and the socks, right? It's right over there. All you have to do is toss it over there right on the floor, right? But you, we, we can feel the emotion, right? Imagine for hundreds of years, you're saying, stop worshiping idols. Stop hundreds of years. To me, the Old Testament is God's grace. And even in his anger, he says, listen, the only reason this happened, the anger is not to condemn you. The anger is to change you. And the only way you're going to learn is through pain. How many of us, the only way we've learned in life is to, right? Right? People warned us, hey, don't do that. Ah. And then you did. You're like, oh, I'm not special. That happened to me, right? The Old Testament's a God of God of grace, but also he's a God of his word, which is very important for us because I think many of us follow God and when he says tough things, we're like, ah, he doesn't really mean it. Because we grew up in a family where the parent didn't mean it. I'll spank you if you do it. And you never got spanked. You seen that parent, right? You seen him in the mall? Come over here. One, two, three. Don't make me count again. Four, five. I will beat you. Okay, let me give you a lollipop. Then you'll do it. Okay. It's like, oh my God, you just ruined that kid. Right? But, we, but here's the crazy thing is we do the same thing with God. He doesn't really mean that. I can have secret sin. Nah, no big deal. Ah, uh, is he really at the end, heaven, hell? Ah, uh, I think it's more of a meta. No way he can do that. It's universal. Everyone's going to get in. We do the same thing. It's like, no, my word's my word. But there's grace within that. I'm trying to, to, to help you and to guide you within that, that you understand it. This is what he says, and check this out in 2 Chronicles 36. You can write this down and read it later. But this is where the warning comes from years before Babylon comes in and takes Daniel captive. And it's the nation of Babylon that comes in and wipes them out. These are the Lord's, uh, the Lord's words. It says, The Lord God of our ancestors sent word to them through his messenger again and again, prophet after prophet after prophet, because he had pity on his people on his dwelling place. This is the God of the Old Testament. He's not super angry. He's having pity and he's trying to be patient. He's trying to guide. But the only way they're going to learn is, I'm telling you, I'm going to bring a nation as, you think it's bad now, it's going to get worse. Change, repent. He's a God of pity. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylons who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary. And we read those wars, right? And we're like, how could God allow that? Children dying, people dying, um, you know, just... We imagine that, but it's like, no, no, no. He warned before saying, you got to get this. You got to get this. You got to get this. This was not his plan A. He did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, 
both large and small, and the treasure of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple, broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. All their history was burned down. Everything they valued burned down. And I'm sure along the way they're like, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. God's been warning us for since my, my grandparents have been warned. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. And they, he was patience. Um, they tested it. It says in verse 20, he carried into uh, exile to the uh, Babylon, the remnant who escaped the sword. And they became servants to him and successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. They enjoyed, uh, the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest. All the time of its desolation rested until the, 77, until the 70 years were complete in the fulfillment of the word of the Lord by Jeremiah. So basically the prophet said, listen, you're going to have 70 years of captivity. Why? Because you worship other gods. And just so you know, it wasn't that they bailed on God and worshiped other gods. It's that they worshiped God and they added other gods in there. Right? Some of us, I got Jesus here, but I also have all these other gods. And they helped me too. And I bow to them, whether it's the God of money, whether it's the God of health, whether it's the God of politics, What's a God? Whatever you give your thought and passion and money and time to, that's your God. Guarantee it. If I look at your bank account, 100% I know your God is. And so where the Bible says, listen, it's not just bailing on God. It's where you add God and add other gods to it. No, he doesn't do that. But check out the other thing he was saying here too is, listen, he asked them to take Sabbath and they blew it off. They arrested no big deal. It's not that spiritual. Not that big. And God allowed a nation to invade Israel because they wouldn't take their Sabbath. And not just for them personally. Notice it says that, it says the land enjoyed its Sabbath. You see, every 49 years, they were supposed to not farm for one year to give the land. Organic farming, God started that, all right? Nobody started that today. Organic farming is back then. What's organic farming? Let the land rest. Too much. And what we do is we put chemicals in. We don't want it to rest. Capitalism, keep going, make more money, right? And God said, no, I set up this world where you got to rest. Even the world needs to rest and rejuvenate. They weren't even handling the earth that he gave them well. Remember when we talked about Adam and Eve? To have dominion over things, responsibility. They weren't even doing that. They weren't responsible for their hearts, their souls, and this world that we live in. So he came in. In order to give the land rest, he had Babylon come in and take out all the Israelites so nobody was farming anymore. These are the times that Daniel lived in. Daniel lived through five kings. You're going to read, see the different names. Through five kings and succeeded because of his faith. And he also could, uh, succeeded in his career in their culture, which is phenomenal. And though Israel would reform in his lifetime and go back and be rebuilt, he stayed in Babylon. He didn't go back to Israel. He wanted to stay faithful to God's calling to live out as an exile, as a foreigner, but to be a light. So how did he do it? How did he do it? Because when you're taken away from all that you know, you're going to have this reaction. It's either going to be fight, flight, or formation, right? When you feel that resistance coming against your faith, or you feel like that, that it's very, it, we're in a combative culture, you can do a few things. One is fight, which we've seen those people on social media posts, right? Let me say harsh words right? Eye for an eye. You do that, I'll do this. And so we fight on the level of 
in the way this world fights. Passive aggressive, speaking hyperbole. Um, and so we can think that we need to fight with culture. Another one's flight, where someone's like, mm -mm, I'm a peacemaker, let me just huddle up in my home. Uh, let me put my kids in Christian school. Let's turn off the TV. Let's have nothing to do with this world. They'll never hang out with Jimmy over there and their family's not a Christian. And what we do is we, we hide. Let's just stay pure and this will help us out. Did God call us to do, we, to do that? Or where we can fall into our formation, where we become like the world. We still call ourselves Christians, but we just concede saying, yeah, I don't need a Sabbath either. So I'll work as much as I can. Yeah, I don't need to have sexual boundaries there. Yeah, nobody does that anymore. Living together is totally normal. But I'll still go to church, I'll worship, right? And so we, we actually become like the culture. How do we stay distinct, but yet still effective? How do we do that? Daniel did that in an amazing way. Daniel would rise to the ranks of one of the highest people in power in that country. How did he do that, but yet still had his faith? Let's look at that. Here we go. Succeeding in exile is kind of the, the theme today. Succeeding in exile. Look at, let's look at Daniel chapter 1. We're going to be on verse 8. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Let me set this verse up. So what happens is um, when they, just so you know, back then, certain nations, they would go in and they would take out a nation. They would fight. And they would kill a certain amount of people. But anybody that had money, that had good looks, or that had smarts, they would keep them for certain reasons. <laughs> and so uh, Daniel was one of those. And so what they would do is they'd re-indoctrinate them. And so what they would do is say, well, you grew up with one God. We believe in many gods. And they, it was three years long. If you read Daniel 1, it's about a three-year program that they take to re-indoctrinate people. And it worked very effectively. And so, and then uh, also to make sure that if they moved up in ranks and they're in the king's court, most of the men were eunuchs. So that way, take away, taking away the women or beginning to maybe be subversive and try to, again, have children that were Jewish children. So they took that away. So this is what they would do. Uh, they would change everything about them. They would change their daily habits. They would change all these things. And one of the things they asked Daniel to do was to eat their food. Now, back then for a Jewish person, how food was cooked, which kind of food you could eat was a huge deal. Now, What's bothering me about this passage is there's some churches that are like, we're going to do the Daniel plan. We're going to eat like Daniel. We're going to do... That's not why this was done. This is not to be like a healthy person and we're going to lose weight and do the Daniel plan. Nothing to do with what this Bible verse has. God could care less <laughs> about your caloric intake or which... That's not the purpose. You see, the diet was actually a spiritual illustration to the people and it also showed them that you are a nation that is chosen and different than other nations. It had a spiritual reason. It wasn't just for health. And so this was deeply spiritual as far as what he ate, why he ate it, what it symbolized. It symbolized the Passover. It symbolized God's grace. Like food had that type of, uh, of an impact. You understand what I'm saying? So when they said, well, we want you to eat something else. I want you to look at Daniel's response. Check out what he says. Daniel 1.8 says this. But Daniel resolved not to, what's that word there? Defile. That's a powerful word. Have any of you used that word lately? That's a, that's a big word, defile, right? But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission 
to not defile himself this way. Can you circle some key words here? There's some key words here. The first one is resolved. But Daniel resolved not to defile. He made the decision in advance where he was going to compromise and where he was not going to compromise. Let me give you an example. There's nothing in this passage that says, he said, I am not going to go through your education. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to take a stand. This curriculum's horrible. I'm going to have a sign. This curriculum's horrible, right? Now, here's the thing. Being reindoctrinated, that can have a powerful impact on your faith, right? But he didn't do it. You see, one of the things that Daniel did well is he chose which battles. Where sometimes as Christians, we choose all battles. Let's just fire every issue. Right? Christianity and marriage and the border and fiscal responsibility. And we just spray it all. Even hitting things that the Bible never even says, but we just put it under Christianity, right? What Daniel thought through is what's the most important things and what are things I can let go? Because here's the thing. Though they might try to reindoctrinate me, they can't take out my faith and they can't keep me from continuing to study God's word. And they can't take out what's already been put in there from my childhood. What hill do we die on? What hills do we not die on? It's super important to think that through in advance so you don't start dying either on the wrong hills or maybe you're not dying on any hills and you just kind of go and pretty soon your faith just looks like the world. You formed in them without even knowing it. And so he resolved to not defile himself with the royal food. And then check out this next word. And he asked the chief official for permission. Circle and underline ask. Notice the respect there. He asked, hey, is this okay? In fact, he would later tell him, hey, I want to prove to you that actually my diet is better. So test me in 10 days and see if that my appearance is still good. Because appearance back then, as much as we think appearance today is a big deal, appearance back then was huge. Isn't it interesting how people really don't change over thousands of years? And so they, they wanted his appearance to look a certain way because he represented the king in certain matters. And he said, let me test it out. Let me try it my way. But just notice the respect. Even in a culture, again, that made him a eunuch, that killed his family, that killed his friends, he still stayed respectful. Can we not stay respectful when someone is voted in that we don't like? Well, no, that gives me the freedom to be disrespectful. Even the Bible says to be respectful because I disagree. What? You got Daniel with a king that just murdered everybody. Ask for permission. If you read through Daniel, notice the way he addresses each of the kings too, with respect. I want to encourage you with this as a Christian, that for us, our tone matters as much as our message. The way we say it, the vibe that we have, matters just as much. I'm not saying you can't post something that's truthful. I'm not saying that you can't have a disagreement. But as a Christian, though, I think our tone and how we go about doing something matters. And I also think it's important that Daniel shows us that think through what hill you want to die on and which ones you don't, because we shouldn't be dying on all of them. Because here's the thing, you actually lose the message of Jesus in the midst of that. I also want to encourage us with this. Some of us get fired up about things that the Bible never talks about. Let's get real specific. Why not? We're good at being awkward at this church, right? Sometimes we make 
fiscal things, or we make um, uh, things like border security. We'll get fired up, and I see posts and this and all that, and we have so much energy. Bible really doesn't address that much, and there's no morality to that. There might be a, a sense of what I think is better, less border security, more border security, how we do that. But here's the thing, to down that hill, to give that much energy and time, why? Don't I have bigger hills to climb, like my own faith and people coming to know Jesus? And Does that make sense as far as prioritizing your message and even what you allow the emotions of your heart to get fired up over? Be aware of what really matters. I'm saying you can't have an opinion. I believe this way. That, that's great. But to go and down that hill and to seek debates and to put energy on, I'm like, I think we have higher priorities. And I think Daniel recognized that too. And in fact, we're going to see this a little bit later. Go ahead and go now to Daniel chapter 6. Because now we're going to see a different side of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. So when it came to food, he chose, I don't want to defile myself, but I'm going to ask for permission. Well, what happens when they say, all right, for 30 days, we're going to have a decree that you can no longer pray to your God, that you actually have to pray to the king. You have to use his name. You have to bow down to him. You have to let him be your God. For 30 days, there was a decree that said, you cannot worship your God. Did Daniel ask for permission? Did Daniel go and be like, hey, you know, can we talk about this? You know, is there a way? Maybe I can try 10 days of worshiping my God, then 20 days of worshiping you, see how it goes. Daniel 6, 10, there was a decree that went out and look what Daniel goes and does as soon as he hears the decree. And this was a decree, by the way, that if you break it, you die. This is a decree. It wasn't like you go to jail, you get a, a $30 fine. This is one, if you don't do it, because the king said it, you're going to die. This is what he does. This is his actions in Daniel chapter 16. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. He wasn't secretive about it. If he wanted to get away with it, he could. Let me open the windows. You want to do a decree not to worship my God? Open windows. Take a look at this. And it says he did this. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Our, the culture said you cannot worship your God. I'm not asking for permission, and I'm not going to go into hiding. I'm going to open up the windows. Good luck, boys. Kill me. And that's exactly what would happen after. We don't have time to look at it. Again, I encourage you to read it. This is where the story, if you're in children's ministry, Daniel in the lion's den. Now his friends... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had this challenge too. You'll read that, I believe, in Daniel 2. And so all these guys were on the same page where they said, we want you to bow down to the idol. I don't know why Daniel wasn't a part of that story, just so you know. We, we don't know why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they did not bow down. Daniel, he was gone. I don't know. He wasn't a part of that story. But the same thing, they're like, we want you to bow down to that idol. And they said, we wouldn't. You remember what happened to them? Right? Went to a furnace. And do you remember what they said? Chapter two, I encourage you to read it. It's so powerful. They said, we believe, right, that our God will free us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. I'm just gonna be straight up. 
for us to really not just survive, but to succeed as Christians in our culture today. We're going to have the mindset that we're, oh, we're willing and we're okay to suffer. And I think, honestly, that's tough for the Christian church today because I think we like being comfortable and we want to be liked by culture. God's not calling us to be rude, but he's also not going to say that the world's going to like you. In fact, there's nothing that, do you remember what Jesus said about the world to his disciples before he died? Or before, not before he died, before he went to heaven? He says, they will treat you as they've treated me. Did people really like Jesus? Yeah, at times where he did miracles for them. But then as soon as he said, hey, repent, hey, turn, they're like, boo, right? Hey, I'm God, boo, we don't like you anymore, right? And that led him to a cross. And Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow after me. Now, I'm not saying every day is going to be dismal. Every day you wake up, people are going to throw tomatoes at your car. We hate Christians. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is what Daniel teaches us is, listen, you can't have a mindset of true Christians mean that everybody likes me. It probably means more that I'm more like them so I can be liked than more like Christ. We're going to have some tough decisions. This might cost us jobs. This might cost us... Um, this might cost us friendships. This might cost us of what people think of us within our families and outside of our families. Now, I'm not saying we're looking for trouble. Are you seeing this balance here? But there comes a time when a culture says, we're going to keep you from worshiping your God, following God, and being faithful to him in the things he's called you to. Guys, we're going to have to draw a line. We'll fine you. We'll jail you. We'll kill you. Now, for an American mindset right now, that seems so far like, bro, that seems so far away. I'm telling you, for Christians around the world, that's the normal way of living. When I go on mission trips all the time, why are many Christians poor there? Because their faith isn't compromised, so they can't find jobs. People won't hire them. But what they say is, whether you hire me or not, I will continue to follow God. And here's what's cool is, many of us want people to, to become Christians, but we never want to show them the power of God in our lives. Why did Daniel move up after this and keep moving up? And why was he given success? And why was he given, in fact, there's a time in this nation where they proclaimed God as the true king of kings, which is phenomenal that would happen. And I, I hope it gives us hope that as Christians, as we live out our faith, doesn't mean that the nation's always going to go one way. It could always come back. Everybody has a chance for repentance, individuals and nations. But here's the thing. It's not going to be through us arguing. It's going to be through us showing the power of God in our lives. And when people see the power of God in your life, when Daniel took a stand being like, go for it. My friends got out of the fire. I'm really hoping I get out of this lion thing. Like, come on. <laughs> you know, you did it for them. Do it for me. But still the faith that took to go in that lines then, but to see the miracle and for them to be like, your God truly is God. What if this, rather than debating society and being and lamenting how much it's not a Christian society, what if we were stoked about trying to show the power of God and the power of light and darkness? And that's how people came to know God. It wasn't through an argument. It wasn't through us trying to intellectually do these things. They saw the power of God in our lives where we took a stand for things, but we did it in a loving way. Where they said, you need to compromise here. No, I'll trust God there. I remember, um, this was years ago. This is at a different church. So this person won't be embarrassed today. Most of you don't know him, but um, it broke my heart. This guy was a successful businessman. 
And I remember he was kind of seeking God, but he, he, he couldn't go full force because his job required him, or so he said, that he had to work this many hours, this many days. He was kind of an executive. He was up there. And, and so, um, but I remember he continually struggled in his walk with God, continually struggled. He had some mental health things. Um, and so I told him, I said, what if your boss requiring you to work and he was missing church? I said, what if you just went to your boss and said, bro, this is what I can do. But on Wednesday night, I go to Bible study. On Sunday mornings, I go to church. I could never do that. I could never do that. And I said, bro, do you have a choice? You're barely hanging on following God. You got all this mental health stress. Like, what do you got to lose? Well, what if he fires me? And I said, what if he does? Will God not provide another job? He had to wrestle with that. He would show up to some Bible studies and we'd miss him three nights in a row. And then he'd say the same thing. I'm struggling, I'm struggling. Okay, we'll come back in. And he'd show up for one Sunday. Ah, oh, worship, yeah. And then miss five Sundays. And he kept wondering, why am I struggling? And it never clicked, right? He couldn't come to this point where, yeah, you're going to live in a world where they're going to tell you, no, to make $500,000 a year, you have to work seven days a week, always have your phone on. And yeah, you might get divorced just like all of us. So I have a side hustle with another woman, dude. This is the way it is. And these are the information, all this kind of thing, and the way the world does things. Yeah, this is the way we do it. What was so sad is that so many conversations I'm like, God will provide. And here's the other thing I said is, what if he doesn't fire you? What if God put you in that position to take a stand and they actually see that you're more productive at work? What if you can actually do it? What if you could actually leave at 4.30, get to Bible study, and you would actually be okay? And then God wants to use you to encourage other people in this group. And the sad thing is he never got it. Never got it. I always wondered what maybe God wanted to do through his life as he took a stand. Maybe change some guys at work that they didn't have the guts and they saw another Christian do it. Maybe even show his boss who wasn't a Christian that, no, my God's good enough and be like, whoa. To show some conviction, to show some passion. Not anger, not resentment, not combative, but saying, this is what I can do. Can you do this? And if not, maybe this is the best place for me. I don't know where he's at today, you guys. And bro, if you're listening, contact me because I don't know. But the last thing I heard, and I think he would admit is he's pretty much stopped following God. At least there was no fruit of it. And it doesn't have to be that way for us. Daniel's a lot like us, you guys. He lived in a culture that said, your God's not really God. And you got to do it our way to succeed. And he proved him wrong. And what that shows us is, first of all, is God is greater than any authority in your life. So don't let someone tell you, no, you have to compromise there. You can't do that. It's baloney. Trust God. Trust him for your success, but also trust him for your survival. I'm not saying you might not lose a job. I'm not saying you might not lose friendships. What I'm saying is that God will then fill those in better than you can imagine with other opportunities. This is the culture that we live in. And to me, it's not dark days ahead. It's not, oh, woe is me. Because all kinds of Christians around the world be going like, come on, dude. Really, you Americans are weak. Here's an opportunity for as the darker it gets, the brighter we shine. Here's an opportunity for all of a sudden, there's no cultural Christianity where people party on the weekends, show up and everybody's at church because that's a cultural thing to do. We don't have that anymore. Now there, there really is a distinction. And so God actually becomes greater, becomes brighter, and we actually can draw more people to him because there's a, a distinction there. To me, I don't mind this shift. I don't know how far it's going to go. 
But here's the thing that Daniel shows us. Our lives are in his hands. Whatever lions come, whatever fires come, might burn us up. Great, I'm going to heaven. I think it's really funny where we believe in heaven, but none of us want to go there, right? <laughs> I mean, COVID showed us that. It showed us the paranormal as far as like just how much we got to hold on to this life and, and people lost their faith because of it, because of the paranoia. I'm like, whoa, I'm not saying that it's a scary thing, but if we go to heaven, isn't that okay or no? So I believe that we're in a great time of testing, but also we're in a great opportunity where God wants to bless us. But to bless us where we faithfully trust him, not compromise, where we either fight the world that he wants us to reach, flight, and we hide away from the world that he wants us to reach, or we form and we become like the world so that we'll never reach them for Christ. That's what he wants us to keep up on. We're going to take some time and kind of just worship and contemplate this. And I, I hope that this week you can dig into Daniel, read it and learn a little bit more. Um, I want to encourage us with this, that any persecution that comes away or difficulty, we are in good hands because thousands and millions of Christians around the world have experienced that. I want to encourage you with this, that Jesus never applauded for being God and we will probably not be applauded a lot for following him. But Jesus was never seeking also to condemn a culture, but to save it. And that's the same for us. Our job is never to condemn the culture, but to save it. And that has to be our greatest heart. No matter what changes happen, for good or bad, that we know that we can trust God. So Jesus, we come before you now. And God, I pray that Daniel can inspire us that no matter what happens, no circumstances are too tough for you, are too difficult. God, I pray that as Christians, you give us tough skin. That people might not like us, might not agree with us, and that's okay. As long as, Lord, you're proud of us. That you being proud of us would be more important than people liking us. But we'd also never become combative and die on the wrong hills. But we'd be wise. We'd know when to speak and when to be quiet. We'd know when to message, but also the tone of that message, Jesus. But I pray most of all that people can just see your power through our lives. That when they disagree with us, they would see that, no, we can be successful and still faithful. We don't have to compromise because you got us. You're the one that makes us fruitful. We don't make ourselves fruitful, Jesus. And so I pray we give ourselves fully to you as we take communion, as we worship God. We can fully dedicate ourselves to you in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go to accesschurch.com.